The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, I love it in Flint. You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Having read the book, I 
grabbed a comb across my head. My way of says, and I had a cup. Looking up, I noticed I was late. Grabbed my coat, grabbed my hat, made the books and seconds flat. By my way of says, and I had a smoke. Somebody spoke, and I went into a dream. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. It's not unusual for us to turn our attention to something that some might consider morbid, but it's not the everyday, Um, nor are the stories that are told in a new book called I've Seen Dead People, Diary of a Deputy Coroner. And the author of that book is uh, Donna Frankart, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Donna. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. Um, when you, you spent nine years as a deputy coroner, and I'm just wondering what life was like for you, what your social life was like when you tell people, oh, I'm a deputy coroner. <laughs> well, first off, Tom, I had no <laughs> social life. <laughs> I was working two jobs. I had my full-time job, which was in the travel business, 
except for, uh, as I mentioned also in the book, uh, a couple of years that I worked at a funeral home. But so I was working uh, during the week, Monday through Friday, at my full-time job, and then I was a deputy coroner on the weekend. So I was very busy doing a, doing a lot of work. Uh, as far as the cor- deputy coroner position it wasn't the type of job that you could actually sit down over, you know, a cup of coffee and chat about your job too much because, number one, you've got the confidentiality. Um, you can't breach the confidentiality and the respect that you have for the families that you're not going to talk about uh, someone's uh, tragedy to anyone at all, or even my family. Sure. They were just things that you didn't talk to anybody about. I kept it all inside me. So, but I was thinking, fact, you know, when you I'm run sorry. into people, they will come up to you, you know, instinctively when you're introduced and say, oh, what do you do? <laughs> yes. And uh, I would start out by telling them that I was in the travel business. But then I'll <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> kind of ease my way in. <laughs> right. And then uh, I would bring up the fact that I was a deputy coroner and, and you'd get that odd look. As a matter of fact, when I'd be on call, um, and I would have my, it's not a uniform, but you know, you'd, you'd have uh, the county shirt on that had deputy cor- the county and deputy coroner. And I had a, um, an experience where I was, which really changed my whole outlook on how I'm out in the public when I'm on call, but I'm not on a case. I had gone into a gas station to pay for some gas and it was a beautiful day it was a busy day there were people lined up to pay and when I got up to the cash register up to the register the young girl looked at me and she smiled and was like oh hi how are you and I'm great how are you doing and then her eyes went down to my shirt and she saw the deputy corner and she threw my my card down on the counter she backed up and she started crying she had lost a child in a, a oh. drowning and so just seeing my shirt, I did, we didn't know each other, but just seeing that. But it brought all that devastated back. devastated her. her. So I was very careful in who I would tell what I did and where I was, you know, at that point in time. So I had to be very careful. Now, for that, for that nine years that you served as deputy coroner, you said uh, when you were working, when you were on call, um, we don't, most of us that don't know very much about the inner workings of a coroner's office mm-hmm. don't imagine that it's an on-call scenario. It's not like a fire. It's not like a burglary in process or a robbery in process. We don't, we don't think of that, we need to have you here right now kind of demand mm-hmm. on it. But it is there, right? It is, and the reason for that is that uh, coroners or deputy coroners, I'll refer to my position, former position as a deputy coroner, you are paged out when there has been a death that was either unwitnessed, unexpected, or uh, suspicious. So we're called to the scene, and you've got the police that are already on the scene, and so every minute counts. And uh, once we would get to, and it's considered a a crime scene until the investigation has been completed 
and ruled out that there was anything suspicious. So the body is under the control of the coroner or deputy coroner, and then the crime scene or the scene is uh, under the, um, I shouldn't say jurisdiction, but is under control of the police and detectives. And so then as a team, we work together and we complete the investigation. Now, is the coroner on call too, or does the coroner just wait till the morning and talk to the press? (laughs) <laughs> the <laughs> you're right only the whole high profile one yeah <laughs> and the deputy coroner of course does all the work right pretty much no i shouldn't say that um there were times yes that, i suspect correct. maybe in some departments uh donna that's that probably is sort of the case i would say so because the county that i work um, with or four, we had, if I can recall correctly, there were like four or five deputies. We were all part-time. We had other jobs that we did. So as part-time deputies, we would handle the the around-the-clock. And we did, a coroner is an elected official. A deputy coroner is hired and sworn in, and that's the difference. But we did everything out in the field that a coroner would do, which would be to pronounce the time of death, examine the body, draw fluids for toxicology, whether it would be blood, urine, or vitreous. Vitreous is from the eye. We would determine whether there should be an autopsy, bag and tag the body, take photos, um, transport or follow the transport of the body to the morgue. If there's going to be an autopsy, we'd attend autopsies. So being a deputy... Uh, we did work for the coroner, but we did pretty much everything that the coroner did, would do. How do you shift gears from arranging a family's vacation to doing an autopsy? Oh, my God, you, you went there. <laughs> the, you reminded me of something that, that I had said a couple of times years ago with a couple of people that I knew I would be able to say this to. I'd said, now, if you talk to me during the week, I'm going to send you up, meaning up in the sky. If you see me on the weekend (laughs) and I talk to you on the weekend, you're going down, which would mean in the ground. So it was was, uh, quite a transition between, yes, well, I handled corporate travel, but it was um, very different to be working during the week where people might be upset about a seat assignment that they had or the, the fact that a flight was delayed or canceled. And then on the weekend, you're scraping brains off the ceiling. And it really put things into perspective for me. And it was, it was a juggling act to keep my respect towards every client that I had and not say, Listen, you're lucky you weren't, uh, you know, someone that I was with yesterday that lost their child or lost their loved one. More with former deputy coroner turned author Donna Frankart straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, mistress of the dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. 
Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More with former deputy coroner turned author Donna Frankart straight ahead. Let's go back to, to how that all started. I'm kind of in awe of people who can do the work that 
coroners do or medical examiners, um, even even morticians. I, mm-hmm. Handling dead bodies for most of us is, uh, you know, something that we sort of joke about at Halloween but would never really consider in real life. Um, how did you get interested in that? Did you have some interest in medicine initially? How, how did you get past the that that feeling of, oh, this is creepy? <laughs> well, I never was one to search for the scary movies or I wasn't fascinated with death. I was actually afraid of death. And I did have a little bit of a medical background, very minimal. I had uh, the certified nursing assistant uh, certification. I worked as a medical assistant for a couple of nephrologists. They specialize in like kidney and um, diabetes. And then I worked at one of the local hospitals as a clinical technician on the uh, neurosurgical floor. But it was more like taking vitals and all the basic things. I had gone through a divorce in the early 2000s, and I, my, our sons were at younger ages where they would spend time um, like every other weekend with their dad. And I wanted to do something that would be constructive and something that would help the community that I felt like I was doing good. And so I'd heard about a uh, volunteer of people that were, uh, the, the team was called Victim Crisis Responders. And what you would do is you would, was on a volunteer basis, and whenever you were available, if the pager went off, it could be a case or a call ranging from domestic abuse to death. And so I applied for that position in front of a panel of police officers and was selected, went through training, and was on the crisis response team for about nine or ten months. And through the calls, through those nine and ten, nine or ten months, it seemed like I was always called into the room where the decedent was. This is obviously, of course, on death cases. And I would be asked if I could help with physically removing the body. I was frightened. I was intrigued. I was fascinated. But through these calls, I did get to know one of the coroners in one of the counties. And he saw how I worked with families. And we had been talking on one case, and I'd said how fascinated I was what little bit of medical background I had and if he was ever to uh, consider hiring another deputy, if he would, um, you know, hopefully consider me. So about nine or ten months after that, I did get a call from him. He was considering hiring another deputy but wanted me to follow him on cases that he went on, which went on for about another nine or ten months. He wanted to see how I could handle these situations, and I was able to. And so then I was offered the position and sworn in. And that's, that's honestly how I did get into it. It was just after the divorce, I wanted to do something that would help other people. Well, when you first said that you got into it after the divorce, I thought it was going to go someplace very different than that. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think. <laughs> but I've I been through a couple of divorces, <laughs> and you know, my your mind plays all kinds of little tricks on you. But, but you were, <laughs> but you were actually um, indoctrinated in a way, um, so that it wasn't all of a sudden. It was not like 
you know, one day you were arranging travel and the next day, <laughs> hey, I'm doing an right. autopsy. <laughs> right. Yes, I was, well, I, I, I can't say I was eased in. I mean, actually, yes, I was kind of eased in by doing the, the crisis response calls. But once I started, when I got that phone call from my former boss, the coroner, and he had me going on the calls with him and then helped him in working the investigations, I was just like a hit the ground running because, as and I, which I wrote in the book, one of my first cases was a suicide. And then uh, after working that, the, the next morning, it was a car fatality. So, of course, the calls that we, go, we would go on, most of them were tragedies. They were unexpected deaths. So they're not peaceful deaths in a bed, you know, in a bed where the person looks like they're peacefully sleeping. We had a lot of very gory uh, scenes that we worked, and those stay in your head and they haunt you. You know, the cases are done with and you're long gone, but those memories don't go away. Oh, I, I would, uh, I, I would imagine. Um my significant other was a paramedic and oh. responded to some some very gruesome scenes so i know a little bit just a little bit about um what you're talking about just just enough to you know get mm -hmm. some chills <laughs> um <laughs> oh yeah but are there are there guidelines for when the coroner's office needs to be called and and when it's just simply an ambulance to take uh someone who's maybe passed away in their sleep to a hospital for you know for uh um, a death certificate and then on to a funeral home if and i'm only going to speak to the county that i worked in but if a death is unwitnessed it's at home even if it's somebody that passed away in a bed the coroner, the, the ambulance, ambulance, if the person is dead on the scene, they don't remove the body. The coroner has to be called in because what the coroner does is once they arrive on scene, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to pronounce the time of death. Now, because just because they might look peaceful like they've passed away in their sleep doesn't necessarily mean that it was a peaceful death. They could have died at the hands of another. You don't know if you've got to look for any kind of markings or could have been um, injury or poisoned, right? That would be where the fluids are drawn for toxicology or where you're going to order an autopsy. So it's not always what you see. It, what you see isn't what, you know, it doesn't uh, necessarily mean that it was just a peaceful death and you have to rule out any foul play. Now, is there... Did you ever have any of those circumstances we hear about, or is this kind of an urban myth of um, bodies that are clearly dead in the morgue, and then muscles contract and they sit up? Does that ever really happen? I've heard of that, yes. I have not had that happen. The only uh, experience that I had was a larger gentleman that had passed away in his bathroom and from it was must have been a thin wall he was between the toilet and the wall and 
from the force of his weight of the body going down his his knee or part of his leg went through the wall. I don't know what walls would be built, you know, what they're made of, but the leg went through. And so an officer and I, well, actually, I had grabbed onto the man's arm. And rigor was already where it stiffens. He was already starting to go into rigor, but I was trying to pull him out from between the toilet and the wall. And every time I moved him, air would escape from his lungs. And you'd hear that, you know, like that wishing, (laughs) wishing. And (laughs) this was in the beginning of my career. And I turned to the officer and I said, is he dead? And he looked back at, or she looked back at me and said, you're the coroner. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. I, it was just unexpected. So I never myself witnessed any of that, but I've heard of that. What was, what was the most difficult part? Getting used to seeing dead people on a fairly regular basis? Or, or was it, did you have to interact with survivors, family and spouses and so on? That's a good question. And I have to say that it was all very difficult for me. I never did get used to uh, seeing a dead body. Every, every case was so different. Every decedent I always handled with dignity and respect. And I, would never lose sight in the fact that it was someone's loved one. And so every uh, case, I'd be looking at this body and thinking, oh, my God, that's somebody's mother, father, sister, brother, and just the, the devastation of what that family is going through right now for losing this loved one with this unexpected death. And as we would say, the coroner or the deputy coroner is the voice of the dead who can no longer speak. Because if they've died at the hands of another, it's our job, our responsibility to find what happened. But then you'd have to give the notification to family or the family would show up at the scene. And the you just never knew what kind of reaction the family, the loved ones were going to have. Some it could be anything from disbelief to anger to total silence, shock. And that's where the police would always be on the scene also and stick around to make sure that everything stayed okay, that no no one, um, you know, got out of hand and lost control. But it was so difficult. And after the investigation would be completed, I would always, as often as I could, unless I was paged out on another call right away, I would sit with the loved ones and I would talk to them a little bit about the their loved one that passed away like well how many years were you married or what what did he enjoy doing what were his hobbies you know just to let them know that i i did care about their loved one i you know didn't know them but i had that compassion and empathy for them and even though i also figured that they wouldn't remember my name or they wouldn't remember who i was i hoped that they'd at least remember in that moment of their darkest hours that there was someone there that that cared about them and cared about their loved one with respect. Now the coroner's office is something that's been depicted on on television in a lot of different ways from Quincy all up to the crime scene investigation 
shows mm-hmm. that we have now. How are the depictions? Are they pretty good or, or like like Sandy does, you know, when she's watching uh, uh, paramedics on television and she's, you know, barking out what they should be doing and, and, and <laughs> what looks real and what looks doesn't. But by and large, are their depictions pretty good? Honestly, you know what? I never watched any of those because I thought, oh, I'm not watching those. I'm living it. The only thing I can tell you, my opinion is what little bit that I've seen. I mean, I would like watching, for example, like Dr. G, medical examiner, which is an actual uh, pathologist, medical examiner doing yeah. autopsies, the real thing. But the only thing I can tell you is when I what I have seen on TV with the coroner, if it's a female um, going out and she's got, uh, you know, the high heels on and looks perfect. That was never me. <laughs> I had more like the army boots on. You know, and lucky my hair wasn't matted down to the side of my head if I'm called out in the middle of the night. I'm exaggerating, but um, but honestly, I really never watched those shows. But I think some of it, of course, it's going to be Hollywooded up. Well, certainly when you say. yeah, when certainly when you see you know someone that's perfectly groomed and coiffed and wearing high heels. I think wearing boots, especially to a crime scene, is probably a good idea. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you never know what terrain. But you never got used to the idea of of seeing dead people. But yet you were able to, to get past that enough to actually conduct autopsies? Yes, it's interesting that I, speaking for myself, I would go into a frame of mind that I was so focused on the investigation that I was able, you know, of course, to complete the investigation and uh, leave no stone unturned as we would all be putting the puzzle together. Once everything was said and done, the investigation was completed, the body was gone, I'd be on my way driving home, I'd start replaying in my head everything that I just witnessed and experienced. And then by the time I'd get home, and usually I was on call at, well, many times at night, I would have to push that out of my head because otherwise it would drive you crazy. And that's how I started writing. Because we didn't have debriefing, I couldn't sit down and chat about my day with anybody. And so I thought maybe if I write down my emotions and my thoughts and some of the things that I've experienced with people's emotions, that maybe that's going to help me with processing what I've... So you did actually keep a diary of sorts? I did. It was, I did, but it was more the emotions and then, uh, of course, the spirits. And uh, through the years, it was, it was t- writing notes because it was, it was so much to keep in your head and your heart. And each one, each death would chisel away at you a little bit because you were so surrounded by death and grief. And at, for a couple of years, I was around death seven days a week, and of course everyone that works in the death industry and paramedics and the medical field are thinking, <laughs> preach it, you know, we're, we're saving lives seven days a week. I tell you, I have the highest respect for law enforcement, firemen, paramedics, 
any anyone in the death industry, funeral directors, medical field. It um, it's a lot to it's a lot to hold inside you, and I think that's very important that departments should have debriefing. Now you said something. You mentioned spirits when you were talking about uh, recording uh, your thoughts and feelings, and you mentioned the word spirits. And I, I really think I need to ask you what you meant by that. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> I, I slipped that in. <laughs> um, well, I just started wondering why the book wasn't called I've Seen Dead People and They Followed Me Home. i thought i'd just kind of spring it in there in the book (laughs) no um the spirits meaning that of course the types of calls that we would go on uh, the cases would be uh, suicide homicide car fatalities drownings fires overdoses a lot of tragedy and so how it was explained to me by mediums, a couple of mediums, friends that I have, is that when someone dies tragically and it's unexpected, and depending on their age as well, they're, they're kind of confused. They don't realize that they're dead, and they don't know what to do. And because I was so compassionate on the scene and they never lost the dignity and respect that they deserved as in each decedent, that many of them would follow me home most didn't cross over my threshold, but some did follow me home. And so they just kind of attached to you. And I would have spirits as in ghosts, the afterlife. I, I believe that, I believe, I'm not trying to change anyone else's mind, that our bodies we leave behind, but we've got our souls and energy that will continue on. I've witnessed so many spirits, things that have happened around me, to me, my sons have witnessed and experienced these spirits. I still have it going on. So I wrote about that in the book, <laughs> a lot of the spirits and things that in, happened. How much of, of writing the, the diary and then collecting it, and, and, and of course I'm interested in how and when you decided that this would be a good book to share with other people, but how much of, of the process of... Uh, keeping the diary and then turning it into a book was uh, therapeutic or or a kind of uh, exorcism and and how much of it was I've got good information I need to share with people a lot of it I I did believe and I started writing because I felt it would be therapeutic for me It, it did to some degree, but then I thought, oh, I've st- it's still in my head. I've still got these spirits coming around, and they're kind of scaring the wiki out of me. Some of the things, I'm getting used to it, but it still scares me. It's unnerving. And then, yes, I thought, yes, as in as far as would it be something that others would maybe benefit from? Because how I wrote the book as the diary, which was for several years, I had these notes all put together and not put together, but I had these notes on pieces of paper. And then after I'd say, oh, well, just in the last year, I was thinking about those years and I thought, you know, if I put this together and I put it in a way that maybe others will read it, 
I had and and maybe walk away feeling uh, a little less afraid of death. Death is such a taboo subject. People either fear it, they don't want to talk about it, they avoid it, or you're really into that kind of stuff. And what I did in e- after each chapter was I had a takeaway. I wanted to walk away with something positive, which is what I was trying to do for myself, for my own well mental well-being, was that even though this was such a tragedy, the positive out of this is that this family, we're not speaking to each other, have now reunited and they've realized how short life is and how precious life is, and now they've come together again. And so with each chapter, I had a takeaway of there's more to life. You know, death is, death is sad. It's, it's not necessarily final. Your body, you leave your body behind, but there's so much more. And to embrace every day that, that you wake up, every morning that you're, you, you take another breath because there are others that also thought that they were going to wake up the next morning or have that day and they don't. And so just enjoy what we have and never lose, lose sight of the fact that we've got our date of birth, our date of death. We don't know what our expiration date is, but we, we have this blank cam- canvas and we should paint that canvas as bright as we want or as black and white as we want. But we hold, we hold the key, so it's not the key for the palette, but you know, we hold the paintbrush, so make the most of your life. And that's what I was hoping people would get out of reading my book and the spirit. More with former deputy coroner turned author Donna Frankart. Straight ahead. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. 
What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. 
Well, I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with former deputy coroner turned author Donna Frankart straight ahead. Donna, had you done any writing before, and and now that you've gotten this book done and and, uh, it's uh, been or being released, um, do you have the bug now? Do you think you'll write some more? I think so. I it's the only it's the only book I've ever written. I've never written any other books, and I'm sure you'll be able to tell by reading that book that I'm not a polished and seasoned writer. I do have the bug. I have so much more to say. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm already deep into the second book, the continuation, and I um, also have my publisher and the owner of Jongler Books. Uh, Gary Revel is my publisher. He also owns Jongler Music and Jongler Films. Yeah. He is going to be the producer, and he was a scriptwriter along with Frank Burmaster, who's a scriptwriter. The book has been written to screenplay adaption for a feature film. Jeff Ohm, who is going to be the producer and director, is actively speaking with agents right now and hopefully filling the major roles with A-list actors. And he has quite a, uh, an extensive background in the film industry. He's very well known for like movies like The Revenant and Shrek, uh, Fifth Element, Titanic, uh, wow. so many of them. So it's a great team. And I'm really excited about that. But yes, I do have the writing bug. Well, I think that's great. Um, I can't believe how fast our time has gone, Donna. Um, oh, I know. You know, it's it's there's there's so much to talk about, and and this is not this is not a book someone writes every day. Thank you. I was really I was really surprised at the interest that people are showing in in the book. And I actually had someone, and it was a very interesting question. They said, was it difficult for you to write this book? And I said, no, you know, when I think it, I thought about this through the years, how it just flowed on the paper. Everything I wrote was just flowing. And they said, do you think that the spirits had any connection uh-huh. with that in helping you to write that, to get the or or, or God, to get the word out to people, to help them in not fearing so much and and opening their minds and their hearts to the fact that, well, I shouldn't say fact because nope, they'll say prove it, but um, that there is more to life than just death and finality. And I thought, that's a good question because it, good it question. did, it just flowed. Well, as our time has flowed, uh, flowed <laughs> and, and flown, um, the name of the book is I've Seen Dead People, Diary of a Deputy Coroner by Donna Frankart. And um, 
Donna, I uh, we have to end it there, but I really appreciate you sharing your stories uh, with me this morning and, and the listeners, but also in your book as well. And I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and uh, the book and and maybe what what's coming next for Donna Frankart. Um, do you have a website? Thank you, Tom. Working on the website... Uh, the book is available on Amazon. It's available in hardcover, paperback, Kindle or e-reader, and also large print. I do have a couple of Facebook pages. Uh, one is under the title of the book, I've Seen Dead People, Diary of a Deputy Coroner. And on that, in that group, I keep everyone abreast of where we're at with interviews and if there's any new news on where what's happening with the hopefully the film coming up. And I also have a page called Delightful Deputy Donna dash small c crazy corner, which is on Facebook. That one was the original one that I'd started. And I have a lot of um, things that I write about on there, post on there, just about uh, spirits. Not, it's not for gore. It's just, you know, embracing life and kind of reminding people little nudges. Uh, it's not so bad if you think about it. I'm also on Twitter under um, Deputy Donna and Instagram, Deputy Donna. I'm, I'm still learning about the Instagram and Twitter. I'm, I'm an old dog with that, but <laughs> definitely on <laughs> both, both Facebook page, uh, pages. And then, like I said, the book is at, on Amazon. Well, Donna, thank you so much for spending this time with me, and uh, good luck with the book and the upcoming movie. Tom, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me and having me. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. That was uh, Donna Frankart. She is the uh, author of um, a book called... Um, I've seen dead people, Diary of a Deputy Coroner. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Another five-minute mystery. An anniversary party is going on at the Brown household around the corner. One of the guests, George Taylor, pauses while eating his dessert. Mmm, best lemon pie I've ever tasted, Mary. Oh, really? I wish my wife could do as well. Hey, it doesn't look as if Sam is appreciating it much, though. Goodness, dear, is my cooking that bad? Sam, your head is practically in your plate. I guess he's fallen asleep, everyone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Sam, Sam, sit up. Sam, it's dreadful. I'd better shake him. Sam, Sam! Great guns, he's dead. How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker of the Homicide Division, and this is one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body? In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him. Hmm. Might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Hmm. Dead, all right. Peaceful, too. Wh who's Mrs. Sam Brown? I am. You mind telling me what happened? I guess not. I'm so shocked. I don't know where to begin or what to tell you. Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you serve for dinner. Well, uh, we had soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom. And then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, and I served him coffee. But I don't see how this could mean anything. 
Just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything? Yes, yes he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I tried to wake him, I found he's had a heart attack. Yeah, that'll be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Uh, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief. Can't say as I do. Neither do I. Let's look in this kitchen. An orderly person, isn't she? Stacked dishes after each course. Yes, and here's the silverware over here. Ah, look. Look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Black? Let me see it. The only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or the perfect murder. But this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown? Yes, Sergeant Barker? I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. Uh, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown, you will. You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband. Do you know why Sergeant Barker accused Mrs. Brown of murder? In a moment, we'll hear the solution. And now, back to our story. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide? Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Yeah, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder. But she forgot to wash one spoon. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Sean Cantwell, Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. We hope you've enjoyed this mini-mystery. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks for tuning in to hear uh, all of our great guests, uh, former Deputy Coroner Donna Frankert, and uh, before that, Anita Sylvie talking about uh, uh, Diane Fossey's uh, quest to save mountain gorillas, and we talked to Mary Townley from Mishta, and, of course, the secret voice coach or confidential voice coach of Princess Diana, a little earlier this morning, Stuart Pierce. I'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Be sure and tune in. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. 
If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.